Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin, the podcast is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com and check out all they got going on, all their podcasts, all their live events. That's OsirisPod.com. In this episode, I present to you an interview with journalist, author, and conspiracy theory expert, Mike Rothschild. Mike has written two previous books, including The Storm is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything. He has been interviewed by CNN, MSNBC, NPR, the BBC, the Washington Post, and the New York Times, among many others, to discuss conspiracy theories and has testified to Congress on the threat of election disinformation. His latest book, Jewish Space Lasers, The Rothschilds and 200 Years of Conspiracy Theories, is the focus of this episode. In 2018, Congressman Majorie Taylor Greene took to social media to share her suspicion that the California wildfires were started by space solar generators, which were funded by powerful, mysterious backers. Instantly, thousands of people rallied around her, blaming the fires on Jewish space lasers and ultimately the Rothschild family. For more than 200 years, the name Rothschilds has been synonymous with two things, great wealth and conspiracy theories about what they're really doing with it. Almost from the moment Meyer Amschel Rothschild and his sons emerged from the Jewish ghetto of Frankfurt to revolutionize the banking world, the Rothschild family has been the target of myths, hoaxes, bizarre accusations, and constant virulent anti-Semitism. Over the years, they have been blamed for everything from the sinking of the Titanic to causing the Great Depression and even creating the COVID-19 pandemic. Jewish Space Lasers, The Rothschilds, and 200 Years of Conspiracy Theories is a deeply researched dive into the history of the conspiracy industry around the Rothschilds family, from the pamphlet wars of Paris in the 1840s to the darkest pits of the internet today. Journalist and conspiracy theory expert Mike Rothschild, who it must be noted is not related to the family, sorts out myth from reality to find the truth about these conspiracy theories and their spreaders. Who were the Rothschilds? Who are they today? Do they really own $500 trillion in every central bank in addition to controlling the British money supply? Is any of this actually true? And why, even as their wealth and influence have waned, do they continue to drive conspiracy theories and hoaxes? So, in this episode, Mike and I explore just how the Rothschild family originally became the focus of countless anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, while considering how the story of the Rothschild conspiracy theories is the story of modern anti-Semitism. We talk about the myth to end all myths involving the Battle of Waterloo, how authentically dangerous the Rothschild conspiracy theories are, how George Soros has become the present-day stand-in for the Rothschilds, and so much more. You truly aren't going to find anyone out there who knows more about these sort of conspiracy theories and just how dangerous they can be. I have no doubt you will learn a lot from this interview with Mike Rothschild. Podcast. Not often I have a, a two-time guest. This is a treat. I just what you write about is so fascinating to me. I think it's super important to tell these stories as well. The new book uh, is wonderful. Cool. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Yep. Uh, I'm ready to dig right in. You want to dig right in? Let's go. All right. Cool. So 
the Rothschilds, uh, one of the richest families in modern history, has been, as your book uh, it really incredibly lays out, the focus of countless uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories for 200 years now. Um, I got to ask, where and why did this begin? Well, um, it really began in the 1840s. So the Rothschilds had become a very well-known, very wealthy banking family in the first half of the 1800s, mm -hmm. um, really starting with uh, the family patriarch, Mayor Amschel Rothschild, uh, ascending from the Frankfurt Jewish ghetto. His sons went out into the world and made an enormous amount of money very quickly. And for the few first few decades that the Rothschilds were really prominent, a lot of the portrayals of them were kind of wink and a nod kind of cartoons mm. you know gentle lampooning in novels but of course that eventually turns into anti-semitism and yeah. the, the rothschild conspiracy as we really know it starts in 1846 with a pamphlet written under the pen name satan accusing <laughs> uh nathan rothschild who was the middle son of mayor amshel rothschild of yeah. Knowing the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo and manipulating the knowledge of it to make enough money to take control of the British Empire. And there is a second accusation in the pamphlet that James de Rothschild, who was another son of mayor, had over the building of a railroad in mm -hmm. France that was cheap and faulty and an accident on that railway led to the deaths of many, many Frenchmen. So this this was kind of a dual accusation that the Rothschilds were greedy manipulators of world events, but also cheap and did not care about the life of ordinary men. Yeah, they would they would profit over the lives and losses of people is what they were getting at. Yeah, I mean, you dove right into where I was going to go next because the Waterloo myth is the myth to end all myths. What, what kind of, um, you know, uh, can you talk a little bit about the weight and power that that had moving forward? Sure. And, you know, the Battle of Waterloo was 1815, and this myth yeah. didn't emerge until 30 years later. Uh, okay. Nathan had been dead for 10 years, so he yep. could not respond to it. <laughs> but the idea was essentially that this great upheaval in French life was caused by the machinations of this wealthy family. Mm -hmm. And what I talk about in the book is that the emergence of the Waterloo myth and the pamphlet war that kicked off in Paris right around it was really bound up with the revolutions of 1848. And this, this is a, a revolutionary year that's not talked about too much in the United States uh -huh. because it doesn't really involve America. Yep. But you had a an uprising of socialist thought and anti-wealth agitation that was going on around this time. The Rothschilds were a huge target of this. And this happens just a couple of years after this pamphlet war. So there's a kind of a setup that these wealthy Jews are controlling everything, and now we're going to take to the streets and take it back from them. So it's mm -hmm. a it's a very powerful example of myth turning into action. Yeah, yeah. There's there's I mean obviously repercussions there. You write that in many ways, and I just think this is important to nail down right now. Um, the story of the Rothschild conspiracy theories is the story of modern anti-Semitism. How so? So the Rothschilds are often looked at as the kind of kings of the Jews. They're they're the string pullers of the string pullers. You know, if you've got this group of wealthy businessmen sitting around in a dark room, you know, drinking their brandy and smoking their cigars and deciding yeah. the fate of the world, mm -hmm. somebody has to pay for it. Mm. And so the Rothschilds are often looked at as the funders of all of this. They are the manipulators of both sides of every war. They own all the central banks. They have $500 trillion. So all of these myths about Jewish wealth, Jewish power, Jewish influence were really applied to the Rothschilds long before they were applied to anybody else in a, in a more modern context. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think, wow, it's important to talk about how, um, just how dangerous these con conspiracy theories can be, um, both historically and today. I mean, what what can this lead to? Sure. So there there were physical attacks against the Rothschilds, but they mm -hmm. they're fairly rare. You know, you had one one of the Rothschild heirs was shot at by a mentally disturbed man. You had some incidents of violence during the revolutions of 1848. You had bricks mm -hmm. thrown through Rothschild banks, things like that. But you, you, there really wasn't those kind of lone wolf. I mean, that's that's not the correct term to use, but those yeah. kind of individual acts sure. where you did see the influence of anti-Semitism and violence was, of course, the pogroms in the uh, early, you know, late 18th, late 1800s and early 1900s leading into the Holocaust. And the Rothschilds are a huge part of the Nazi propaganda machine. Yeah. So it's really important to understand with 1920s and 30s Germany there wasn't this out of the gate bloodlust to eliminate all of all of the Jews. It, it just wasn't part of German society. German Jews were completely assimilated. There, there would have been no thought of, of extermination. But what there was was a very slow and deliberate othering of Jews in German society. And the Rothschilds were really looked at as the most glaring example of the other. So in 1931, when the uh, financial contagion starts spreading across Europe, it starts at a Rothschild bank in Austria, and the Rothschilds are personally blamed. And I found a, a, a Nazi newspaper that claimed that the Jake, uh, not Jacob, Louis de Rothschild, the head of the Vienna branch, should be made personally responsible for all of the losses incurred by Germans due to the Great Depression. There is a scapegoating. There is a blame. So as the Nazi propaganda machine starts moving toward mass extermination, the Rothschilds are really used as part of that. And I highlight these films that came out in 1940 that ruthlessly attack the Rothschilds as the global string pullers, the dominators of European finance. Mm -hmm. So what starts off as just exclusion and othering really ends in mass violence. And it takes a long time to get there. But the Rothschilds are really exploited as part of that. There was a sentence, uh, Rothschilds conspiracy theories have been used as fodder for riots, blood libel panics, terrorist attacks, and mass shootings and played a critical role in raising up the necessary level of hate and bloodlust to make the Holocaust happen, that that you, you just touched on that, that gave me chills. That's that's super super disturbing. Um, you know what's kind of um, fascinating is that throughout history, um, the Rothschilds never really spoke out and kind of stood up against these. Uh, why was that the case? Yeah, it's a question I really wanted to answer first huh? from the Rothschilds themselves, and of course I wasn't able to do that because they didn't respond to any of my interview requests. But okay. then I went back okay, into yeah. the historical archives to figure mm -hmm. out, okay, did they ever talk about this? You know, w was there a response from the family? And there really wasn't mm -hmm. really even going back to the very beginning to this pamphlet from, uh, from Satan. The only <laughs> thing you really have is one of the Rothschild brothers writes to the emperor of Austria and asks him to do something about these rumors. And of course, the, uh, the emperor of Austria can't do anything about rumors being spread. Uh -huh. And there's no record of anything happening after that. It took almost a century for the Rothschilds to really uh, organize an official response to the Waterloo myth. And even that response was shot through with other myths. So it really just confused the matter. The, wow. the Rothschilds really just don't address any of these things. They they don't talk publicly about the myths and the rumors, even interviews that you have with Rothschilds in the present day. They, they don't ask about it uh, because there's really nothing the family can say at this point. Yeah. You know, you, you can't uh, give an interview and talk about how you don't 
own all the central banks and didn't fund both sides of of every war. Most people don't believe that stuff. And the people who do believe it are not going to listen to a Rothschild saying that it's not true. So really, their stance has been to just not say anything about any of it. Yeah, responding to some of this ridiculousness could almost give it a little onus and credit or something like that. So it's interesting, and it kind of, I'm going to move us a little bit towards the modern era, but I do want to note to all the listeners, the amount of history and, and kind of conspiracy theories that move through these 200 years is just unbelievable. Um, it's it's almost, if it wasn't so dangerous, it'd almost be, you know, fun to read about that they're so out there, civil wars involved, all the world wars, it's crazy. But you know what, if, if you think about it, this is something that that kind of blows my mind a little bit. This isn't something that's just on the right. These conspiracy theories. You point out that that it is all you know, kind of both sides um, kind of uh, take a, a liking or or you know notice to these conspiracy theories. Is this that's the case? Both sides uh, you found you know uh, addressing the Rothschilds and these this anti-Semitism like this. Oh, absolutely. There is a great deal of far left anti-Semitism, especially mm-hmm. early on in the the building of the Rothschild myth. Many yep. of the biggest French anti-Semites were also ardent socialists, people wow. who we would think of as, as on the far left. The founder of anarchism wrote in his diary that the Jewish people should either be sent back to Palestine or exterminated. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't really get much more far left than anarchism. You know, a lot of these movements have disavowed all that. But mm-hmm. early on, there is a huge amount of anti-wealth sentiment in the socialist movement. And of course, that sentiment is taken out on wealthy Jewish banking families, chief among them the Rothschilds. Wild, wild. So let's wait a little bit into the Trump era just because we have to. Trump actually has um, links to the Rothschilds. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? I was I was surprised to uh, learn, you know, his, his links to the family. Well, sure. And his fans don't want to talk about that stuff, you know, <laughs> understandably. Sure. Yep. So in uh, in the throes of bankruptcy of the Trump Taj Mahal, which, of course, Trump had financed with junk bonds and it was his third casino in Atlantic City, it was massively over leveraged. The Taj Mahal is going bankrupt. He turns to Rothschild Inc. He turns to Wilbur Ross, who was the head of the Rothschild uh, bankruptcy division. And Wilbur Ross sees the celebrity around Donald Trump and comes up with essentially a better idea to get the Taj Mahal uh, out of hock than to declare bankruptcy. He comes up with this complicated financial scheme where Trump will sell off some of the Taj and, and sell off some of the debt. Of course, it works. The Taj becomes a big success for a while. And Wilbur Ross eventually gets rewarded with a position as Trump's Secretary of Commerce. He's one of the only Trump cabinet members who uh, wasn't fired or resigned uh, you know, yeah. in in the four years that Trump was in office, That's crazy. You know, you you've got other links. You've got mm-hmm. links with uh, Paul Manafort, who was a, a big fan of Nat Rothschild. It was another one of the Rothschild heirs. It was bound up with Oleg Deripaska. Some of that stuff ends up in, you know, confidential Senate reports about Russian collusion. Of course, you know, Trump was all buddy buddy with Emmanuel Macron. They had this big, you know, alpha male friendship where they're, you know, slapping each other's behinds and shaking hands. And uh, Macron was a Rothschild Inc. banker for years. A lot of conspiracy theorists looked at him as kind of Rothschild's man to run France. So all of these connections are are really right there. They're just not talked about by any of Trump's uh, super fans. Yeah, I got to be honest, I didn't know about both of those connections as well. Um, there's a few wild conspiracy theories that really grabbed hold during the Trump era. Uh, I'd like to just ask about a couple. Um, first, 
the namesake of the book. Um, I didn't know the whole story, so it was good to get like get round out my education there. But uh, if you could talk about the story behind the Jewish uh, space laser conspiracy, I'd love to hear it. Sure. So there's a long tradition of blaming, you know, the, the globalist cabal for uh, weather, for earthquakes, uh, you know, for things that that normally have natural explanations. We don't want a natural explanation. We want a conspiracy. Yeah. So the idea that there are these, you know, space lasers starting forest fires that had been around a little while before the 2018 California wildfires, okay. but it really caught on then. And one of these many, many internet posts was something put up on Facebook by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, of course, was not a politician then. She was just a CrossFit mom of five who had some pretty wild ideas about a vast conspiracy between Pacific Gas and Electric, the Rothschild family, uh, Governor Jerry Brown, a bunch of other people to clear land to create a high speed rail line. You know, this this vast and massively overcomplicated conspiracy is all being masterminded by a PG&E executive who's also an executive at Rothschild, Inc. Now, uh, Green's post never uses the term Jewish space laser. Mm -hmm. She never mm -hmm. says Jewish, yep. but she's talking about the Rothschilds. And yep. everybody knows when you talk about the Rothschilds and, oh, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. you, people know what you're talking about. So that phrase Jewish space laser started getting passed around once that Facebook post became public. And that post actually was totally unknown for a few years. It actually only resurfaced after she'd been sworn in uh, right after January 6th. So this uh, this joke starts going around. Oh, it's a Jewish space laser. And, you know, people are making memes and hashtags and all this other stuff. But it's a, it's a really insidious example of Jews being blamed for something that has nothing to do with Jews. And, you know, sometimes that takes the form of just harmless jokes on Twitter. And sometimes it takes the form of an anti-Jewish riot or an yeah. expulsion. You know, th yeah. these these things can go into really dark places. Yeah, there's real consequences to lies like this. It's, it's wild. Um, when Rothschild's LLC, an investment company, acquired a 70% um, share of Weather Central, um, conspiracy theorists kind of went nuts. What happened there? So there is another one of those ideas that the Rothschilds control the weather, that they're profiting off of the climate change scam, that all of this is just a uh, you know a scheme to make money. And the, when uh, one of the Rothschild investment firms bought a large stake in Weather Central, mm -hmm. a lot of conspiracy theorists are like, oh, they're going to control how we how we do things. They're going to control when the sun shines and when it rains. You know, Weather Central got bought up pretty quickly by the Weather Channel and the whole yeah. thing got forgotten. Yep. But, you know, for the for the small amount of time, it was another example of the Rothschilds are using their money and their power to perpetrate vast conspiracies against the rest of us. And all we can do is just suffer under their thumb. It's wild. These theorists, they, they give too much uh, kind of credit to the capabilities of the people that they're pointing a finger at. It just, totally, totally. It's so wild. Um, so as the book kind of progresses, we meet a new stand in for the Rothschilds in George Soros. Um, and it just I think it's easy enough just to ask uh, why Soros? Can you tell us about the beginning of this myth? Sure. So there there's always this need in society for someone to blame, a, a, you know, a scapegoat, mm -hmm. a, a, a string puller for the for a long time. It was the Rothschilds. They made a great stand in for the global power structure. But of course, they started to fade in prominence, really getting into the 20th century. So for a while, there were other culprits to go after. There were communists. Then there was, you know, the Islamic terrorism. 
but eventually it will come back to the Jews. And around 2004, George Soros, who was not a particularly well-known figure at that time, uh, started to get involved in American politics. And that's something that the Rothschilds really never did. Yeah, that's a difference. Big uh, difference. Yeah, that, that's a big difference. The yeah. Rothschilds never got involved in American politics. Yep. Um, they really you know, had no stake in what happened here. But Soros, uh, in opposition to the Iraq war, mm -hmm. starts giving a large amount of money to the Kerry campaign. Mm -hmm. And he very quickly becomes right wing public enemy number one. Within he was a, couple a Republican of years, at that got, point. Am I correct about that? He was a Republican. Yeah. He um he he openly spoke of his admiration for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. He was a very sort of classic businessman Republican. And yeah. so when the far right machine turned on him, they couldn't really use his politics against him. So they yeah. used conspiracy theories. They used, oh, wow. you know, the idea that he'd been uh, hiding from the SS as like secret proof he was a Nazi, that he was funding all these left wing groups through drug money and money laundering. You had Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly doing hour after hour after hour about Soros. And so this figure that even just a couple of years earlier was not all that well known hadn't been profiled much outside of uh, you know financial papers mm -hmm. was suddenly everywhere and funding everything. And now it, it would take so much time to list all of the things that George Soros is accused of that. Uh, I don't think anybody has that much time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if, there, if there's something bad happening somewhere, somebody's going to be blaming it on George Soros. And it's interesting that um, kind of Fox News, uh, you know, prominence and, and just their rise to, to, you know, where they are now was it was kind of on this conspiracy theory of Soros. That's, sure. That's super interesting. Sure. You know, yep. Fox News was not the the juggernaut that it is yeah. now. Uh, you know, even in the early aughts, it was still it, it still wasn't that well known. And in that, you know, that first decade of the 2000s, certainly 9-11 plays a part in that. But yeah, you've yeah. also got these these hour long specials about George Soros being the secret string puller. These things got a lot of ratings, got a lot of interest, and they really did put Fox News on the map as a conservative touchstone for news. Yeah. And Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, so the yep. whole gang really, really yep. took advantage. So these Soros conspiracy theories, they really, you're kind of just alluded. They seem to have no end. Colin Kaepernick ones, uh, Charlottesville rally comes into play. Hillary wearing purple at the DNC. I think I kind of asked you about this when we were talking about QAnon and just when you dig in. I mean, how deep and dark does it get when you when you get in there? I mean, he's literally blamed for everything. Yeah, he's blamed for everything. And yep. Th that kind of relentless drumbeat of attacks really gets through to a certain type of person. And mm -hmm. and we've seen acts of violence against Soros. You know, we saw the the MAGA bomber um, who yeah. left a pipe bomb yep. in his mailbox. Uh -huh. um, and of course, we've seen Soros used as a justification for other acts of violence. Yeah. So Soros's name crop up in mass shooter manifestos and wow. you know terrorist documents. You know, th there is a real belief that this guy is somehow the king of kings of all the bad people and is responsible for every single bad thing that happens. And that's not a long jump to violence. Yep. Absolutely. It's wild that someone really people people really uh, need need someone to blame and the route they go with it is just just I just find it mind blowing. So Soros is not a young man. Um, no. Yeah, obviously, when when what we're seeing and, and as you as you you know document it so well that uh, you know they're always going to find another source, always going to find somebody to put in this box, this anti-Semitic conspiracy theory box. Um, you, do you have any thoughts on who's next? 
it's a really good question. And, mm-hmm. you know, Soros as of right now is 93. Yep. He's not going to live forever. Uh, you know, even his billions cannot buy that. <laughs> the the thought that I have and that I'm really seeing in conspiracy culture is that uh-huh. because his his son, Alex, has been handed the position as chair of the Open Society Foundations, uh-huh. which is uh, the philanthropic arm of Soros business empire. And Soros has left the vast majority of his money to the Open Society Foundations, that it's really going to be Alex who takes over the reins as as the next string puller. So you're already starting to see the conspiracy theories, the attacks on him, you know, the attacks on his links to Joe Biden and to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, Alex Jones has been talking about Alex Soros for years already. So there really is a laying of the groundwork for the next iteration of these theories. But it won't fully happen, I think, until Soros is no longer with us. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's they're going to ride that out with him for sure. So ultimately, it felt like as you kind of waded through the book and, you know, you dig into the the history of the family. Uh, and, and it's fun as you kind of compare, compare to your your family's uh, history. Mm. There seem to be, you know, after you put aside all the all the lies and the nonsense and you look at the truth, you seem to be that you had a deep respect for the family and what they've done and, and what they built. Is that that's the case, correct? Yeah, I really do have a, a oh. great deal of respect for the perseverance of the Rothschild family. Yeah. And, I, and I think when we talk about uh, the the sort of uh, generational suffering of the Jewish people, uh-huh. I think we miss a lot of things and I think we miss perseverance. I think we miss humor. And I think we miss something like the Rothschilds who really were an example for other Jews to follow. You know, there's a reason why the Rothschilds are the name that's used so often in Jewish stories as, you know, why do you need to clean up your shtetl? Why, why do you need to set the table? Well, what if a Rothschild comes over? They, they were the the beacon of what you could be if you just worked hard enough and persevered. You know, they, they kept their Judaism at a time when many other wealthy German Jewish families were converting. They gave enormously to Jewish philanthropic causes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot to admire there. Uh, there. There's a lot to look up to. I mean, certainly there are questionable decisions in their past and and, you know, my job is not to be a spokesperson for the family. They don't yeah. need me to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think on the whole, they have done a great deal of good for the world, for the Jewish people. Huh. And it's only the people who really carry these conspiracy theories around that really have the problem with them. Yeah, they're the only ones who think different. It is. It's incredible what they what they built and what they, they you know, they're they're you know, how, how they were kind of there, uh, like, you know, Forrest Gump to all these different points of history. Yeah. Just, it's, it's really, really beautiful. What's uh, also incredible is your knowledge base on um, these conspiracy theories and everything. I'm, I'm just blown away. I loved uh, I loved your last book. Uh, this book is incredible. Yeah, I learned so much. Uh, I think it is important. It's, we need to talk about this. It's, it's You're seeing it so much more in popular culture. So that's why it's really Really great to spread the word about it, to talk about it here with you. So thanks for coming on the show again, Mike. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me back. This was great. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love 
Get in the loop at osirispod.com.